Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Stories of Scotland, a podcast about Scottish history, mythology and folklore. I'm Jenny and I'm feeling alive. And I'm Annie and I'm buried. Oh. As it's October, we are in full Halloween swing. And so in this episode, we are exploring the curiously copious amount of Scottish folklore around the subject of being buried alive. Oh, how jolly. <laughs> <laughs> We really went hard this Halloween, Annie. I think next year's going to be ghosts only. (laughs) (laughs) Just a wee content warning that this episode is pretty gross. There's going to be lots of death and corpses, so listen with care. If you don't fancy listening to an episode that features a lot of dead bodies, then perhaps skip this one and listen to some of our old ghosty episodes to get in the Halloween mood instead. So, Jenny, what do you know about being buried alive? Uh, I know that it would suck. (laughs) And for this reason, it is a very common phobia. And if we want to be official, which of course we do, then the fear of being buried alive is called taphophobia. I feel like this is a very sensible thing to be afraid of, right? It speaks to such a primal fear. I think most people understand that about a century after their death, they will probably be forgotten, you know? After a couple of generations, you kind of just get swept into the archives. However, being buried alive is the kind of ultimate silent dismissal, because it means you've been forgotten whilst you're still alive. I mean, that's a bit meta for me, Annie. I'm just scared of it because I hate the taste of dirt. (laughs) I don't know, Jenny. A bit of dirt on your turnip can do you good. (laughs) Well, luckily for us, I think we're fairly far removed from the possibility of finding ourselves six feet under alive in a plush wooden box. But unfortunately for the folk of the past, this was a genuine threat. See, 
A few hundred years ago, when medical science was as murky as the peaty waters of Loch Ness, doctors could have quite a hard time discerning whether a patient was actually dead. There's plenty of illnesses that can really knock you out. They leave your breath a mere weak whisper or make your pulse as faint as a ghost and your skin cold to the touch. Without the knowledge to check for all the signs of the life or an ECG monitor, you could very well appear deceased and in need of a good funeral. This adds a whole level of anxiety to the world. I can relate to not completely trusting authority figures, but I'm feeling very fortunate that I have no fear that upon my death I'll obviously be dead and that those in charge of deciding I'm dead will be able to do it very accurately. Well, this ambiguity of life and death meant that a lot of stories developed around the resurrected. The people who were thought dead and then buried, only to awake in their coffins in a bit of a panic. But don't get in too much of an undead fluster, Annie, because there is a lot more folklore about people being buried alive than any actual cases of it. Probably because of good old taphophobia. Over the millennia, many places around Scotland developed legends about such grim circumstances. And these stories offer a fascinating insight into the people's belief around life, death and the in-between. Just a note that whenever you say taphophobia, I think of salted taffy. (laughs) So do I. It sounds like someone's scared of taffy, which is straight up not okay. (laughs) Other than if you have a lot of crowns, because they do whip out a filling real easy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, away from that delicious salted taffy and back to the taphophobia, let's start with one of the older stories. It is set around 1500 years ago and is a mixture of religious history and local folklore. This is the story of St. Oran, and one of the strangest buried alive cases that we've come across. Our tale starts in the middle of the first millennium, 563 common era to be exact. One of Ireland's most influential go-getting saints has just arrived on the shores of the wee Scottish island of Iona. And you best believe he wants to build an impressive monastery here. We are of course talking about St Columba, but Columba is not alone. On Iona's shores with him are 12 very religious men who are going to help convert the Scots to Christianity. 13 men on an island. This is like the next season of Naked and Afraid. Naked and saved. (laughs) Naked and not afraid. For he who hath fear hath the devil in his heart. (laughs) (laughs) No, Jenny. These are Christian missionaries and they are definitely clothed. Mm -hmm. Columba (laughs) Columba (laughs) is very enthusiastic when it comes to establishing his presence. And his little group decide that they should waste no time. They quickly commence their mission of building a grand monastery. However, their plans swiftly turn to ash. For as soon as they begin, they are immediately struck by unforeseen, eerie obstacles. When these holy men try to dig the foundations for the building, no matter how hard they dig, the ground will not yield to their spades. The rocks they move feel far heavier than they look, as though they carry a completely different weight. 
but the major sign that the devil's work was at play happened each day when work was finished. As the sun set, these exhausted holy men would leave their sight and sleep heavily through the night, leaving not a soul on the building site to witness what was happening. But each morning, when the men rose from their slumber to start their work again, they would find that everything they had worked on the previous day had been undone. The slow and steady progress that they attempted was inexplicably returned to as it was before. The turf was undug, the stones were unmoved, all of their building was made to ruins. The men were baffled and confused, it was as though the land was cursed. Everything they made crumbled. And so they did what holy men do best. They looked to the heavens. Columba prayed to God for an answer for resolution. But as he prayed, his head bowed in reverence. He peeked open an eye and looked around him. He could not help but admire the nature which they disturbed with their work. He saw a young sapling oak tree growing in the shadow of a decayed stump. And that is when he understood what God was trying to tell him. The only way they could move forward with their sacred construction was with a dreadful yet powerful sacrifice. And so Columba gathered his twelve companions and explained, Our roots will not grow here. Life will not begin here unless it has death as an offering. Our connection to this land must begin below the surface. So I ask that there may be one amongst us who is willing to descend into the earth to sanctify this island for all who come next. Although this question sounds very extreme, it stems from old beliefs that the spirits of the dead buried in the earth may offer a protection. And for Iona, we think the monastery destruction is coming from a possible demon of the island. Mm. One of Columba's 12 accomplices, a man named Orin, was profoundly moved by this speech and said, I volunteer! I volunteer as tribute! Orin solemnly offered himself to be buried deep in the earth so that the monastery may stand. He freely gave the ultimate sacrifice to his community and to his god. Yet his brothers were distressed by his choice. They were torn between their duty to their sacred mission and for their love of Orin. He was great crack. No one wants your best member getting put underground. (laughs) (laughs) Ultimately, Columba decided that God's wish was clear. Their path ahead was set and that burial was the only solution. And so, at the crack of dawn, all of the brothers set about digging a grave for Orin. As Orin lowered himself down into the damp earth, he held tightly to his faith and his resolve. This is how the holy men came to bury their brother in the earth. Even as Orin felt the soil fall on top of him, as the weight of the earth began to pile up, he did not question his choice. By sunset, there was an offering within the land to consecrate it, and this offering was the body of Orin. Orin was as close to death as he possibly could be, and the folklore tells us that whilst he was buried, his spirit embarked on a journey into the afterlife, 
but as he travelled towards the light, it revealed to him an unspeakable truth, a truth so pure that it changed his outlook on everything he had ever believed. Yet there was nothing to be done, for Orin was deep in the earth, entombed alive. Above the grave, however, it appeared that Orin's sacrifice had worked. The abbey construction was speeding along, and the holy men were delighted. It was as though the environment was now embracing their building activity. The earth easily gave way to their digging, stones were lighter to move, and timber was felled easily. But Columba had a shift in perspective. Despite understanding the ultimate gift that his dear friend had given to God, and celebrating the rapid progress of the monastery, Columba dearly missed Orin. Three days passed and Columba's resolution broke. He decided that he must lay eyes once more on the face of his surely deceased brother. Just one last glimpse could not hurt. And so Columba dug up the fresh soil from Orin's grave. But as he dug deeper into the earth, he was unnerved by signs that Orin still may be alive. Columba called his followers around, and together they gently swept the dirt from Orin's face. Their brother lay there peacefully, like the dead. But they were shaken to their cores when they saw that Brother Orin was still breathing. Three days buried underground, who could survive this? That's when Orin's eyes fluttered open, and he fixed his gaze up at his brothers who had previously entombed him, and had now released him from the earth's embrace. Spitting soil from his mouth, he was now free to speak about the discovery he had made within the afterlife. With a voice of thunder, Orin exclaimed, There is no profound mystery of death. There is no great wonder in heaven, and no great terror in hell. When you've just dug up your friend, who you assumed was dead, this is not what you expect them to say. Especially when you are all part of the same Christian community, whose beliefs are firmly based on a shared vision of the afterlife. Very relatable. This has happened to me countless times, Jenny. <laughs> what do you mean there's no turnips in heaven? <laughs> that would actually be a deal breaker for me. I'd be like, send me down, send me down. Get me on that nippy shoot to hell. <laughs> you get there and it's just all of my carved turnips. I'd be like, what's up, gang? <laughs> Reunited at last. Hugh was Orvin, freshly exhumed explaining to the holy man who had buried him that God was not what anyone had imagined, and neither heaven or hell was as they had thought it to be. He's come back an atheist. I don't believe it. How's that for a plot twist? <laughs> He's not an atheist as such. He's just adding a lot of nuance to the conversation. Orin is challenging Columba and the holy man, that their interpretations of the afterlife were wrong. And this makes it almost more interesting, I think. However, Columba and his followers were certainly not expecting it. They suddenly find themselves looking regretfully at their old friend, scratching their heads and questioning. Did we just mess with unseen forces that we don't fully understand, if at all? 
This man has been closer to heaven or hell than any of us. And if what he says is true, then... <gasps> they were caught in this surreal situation where their buried brother Oren has thrown a complete curveball for their understanding of the universe and their place within it and their God's place within it. It's marvellous. But it's also really scary because what on earth are these brothers going to do? But Columba saw a very simple way of dealing with this. He raised his hands for silence around him and cried, Earth to the mouth of Orin, so he will speak no more. And so, after Orin had spoken these words of a heretic, Columba and his holy men immediately took up handfuls of dirt and threw them back into the grave. No! Orin's eyes were covered in dirt so he could not see. <gasps> his mouth was filled with dirt so he could not speak. They completely reburied Orin. They chose to hold on to their reverence for his sacrifice, but they discarded all of his talk of what happens after death. As much as they are burying Orin's body, they're also putting his heresy and his new ideas that he offers them about the afterlife deep into the earth with him, where it won't bother them anymore. I actually can't believe this. So what they would build on top of Orin's grave goes on to become the very, very famous Iona Abbey, right? Yes, so they built a monastery that was to become Iona Abbey. And it stood strong because Orin's bones lay beneath it. Dang. But Orin had not died in a way that he had intended to and had not given Columba the foundation he expected. Because though Columba then has a great foundation for the building, he's had his foundations of his very religion questioned. And of course, Columba always gets the credit for this truly astounding abbey. But it's poor Orin that sacrificed his own life and was then killed for his beliefs when he had that wee window of reconnection with his brothers. However, there is a gorgeous wee chapel in Iona dedicated to St. Orin, and the grounds around it, named Relig Orin, became a burial place for chiefs and kings. So Orin is surrounded by those who wielded great power in the world, and I think he really fits in with them, because what greater power is there than the words from the dead? I mean, your friend's not all killing you is pretty great. Yeah, I mean, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to revisit St. Orin's Chapel when we do a proper episode on Iona Abbey because it's a place with a lot of stories of its own. And then let's just circle back to burial. St. Columba was originally buried in the island of Iona, the same abbey that he and his monks had built. However, these types of religious buildings became targets for Viking raiders in the later part of the first millennium. And so St. Columba's bones were eventually dug up in the 9th century and they were mostly returned to Ireland. However, St. Oren's bones were never again disturbed. He remained in Iona and will be in some form within that land forevermore. 
ever since I read these stories of Orin's burial, I keep thinking about it and the astounding questions that they raise about truth, belief and burial. And friendship, because you can't trust some snakes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's that easy, Jenny. I think think it's pretty cut and dry. (laughs) (laughs) Your pal's alive and yeah, sure, he's spouting some new age nonsense, but that doesn't mean you have to bury him for it. Give the guy a chance. Hear him out. (laughs) I think that it's, it's almost a metaphor for the faith we have in anything. And there's always going to be a question, isn't there, that we need to bury? For me, this story of Orin's sacrifice completely changes the whole nature of the monastery on Iona. Someone willingly getting in a grave as a martyr is a very different tale than if they've been buried alive to keep them quiet. I don't know, I just can't shake the feeling that these monks are like the mafia or something. I I can't think of another group who would so quickly bury a friend whose speech they didn't like. Just imagine how poor Orin felt. Oh my word. Oh, I'm alive. I'm being exhumed. Oh, hey, my brother's under God. It's y'all. I have this amazing news from the other side. And let me tell you, you, it's going to blow your minds. (laughs) And then then the shock in his wee face when they just choose to rebury him. I am outraged for poor Orin. (laughs) Team Orin, let's go. This might be really cynical, but I feel like there's still people nowadays who would happily bury ideas that they don't like on a Scottish island. Well, as long as they get a permit from Nature Scott, I'm fine with it. (laughs) But not us, Annie. Not when we have a lot of digging to do for our next stories. But for now, let's insert a digging noise as an advert is most likely incoming. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I hope that whatever company that was enjoys our Buried Alive episode If I was a marketing manager, I'd hope to be in a podcast episode about corpses. (laughs) Well, if they didn't, maybe they'll enjoy the folklore that I'm about to tell. This story actually came from a query we got from a listener who's an organist in America. 
he found a surreal little bit of folklore from North Carolina, which has roots in Scotland, and he emailed to ask us about it. I love it when listeners find something really spooky and think, ah, I should tell stories of Scotland about this. This tale is called The Baby Born to a Corpse, which I have to say is definitely on the more disgusting side of folklore titles. But I don't know. I don't hate it. It's got my attention. (laughs) (laughs) It's like clickbait. It is. This is like folklore clickbait. But soon we shall see just how the story got its name and if the title was worth it. Let us return to the streets of a small town in 1740s Scotland, where a lovely woman named Mrs Lindsay found herself in an awfully dire situation. A few weeks prior, she had fallen ill, but instead of recovering, she had steadily become sicker and sicker. She was terrified that whatever this illness was would take her life. But to her horror, what happened next was far worse. One day she went to sleep, and although she woke up, her body did not, for she had fallen into a deep coma. Despite her mind still buzzing with thoughts and fears, her body gave all the appearances of being deceased. She was as white as milk, cold to the touch, silent and still. All who saw her assumed that the illness had taken her in the night, and that her final breath had passed through her blue lips. As the mourners walked by her open coffin, her devoted husband wept by its side. He clasped her cold hand and kissed the stunning wedding ring upon her cold finger, until finally the coffin was sealed, and the sparkle of the ring was extinguished. The husband, watching his wife be lowered into the earth, knew that they would be wed in the afterlife as they were wed in the realm of the mortals, for their love was everlasting. She may be buried, but their love was not. As the mourners left the graveside, Mrs Lindsay was left to join the other souls of the graveyard, resting in eternal slumber. Yet something stirred out of place, for greed knows no rest. That night, hallowed ground was to be desecrated, and Mrs Lindsay's deathly doze was to be disturbed. For a most evil shadow descended upon the cemetery as two grave robbers prowled between the headstones. These foul men had been present at Mrs Lindsay's funeral, and they had seen the glinting ring upon her cold finger, and now they were looking for her freshly sealed grave. They knew that Mr. Lindsay must have travelled all the way to Edinburgh to purchase such fine jewellery for his wife, and so the grave robbers justified their heinous crime by telling themselves that the wondrous ring would be better served re-entering the world of the living than lingering six feet under with a rotten corpse. When they finally found the fresh grave, they began to dig. In secretive silence, they plunged their shovels into the earth and exposed their very own lack of moral fibre. Intrigued by the action, every ghost around came to watch the show. Their whispers rustled through the leaves, warning that something wasn't right. Eventually, the grave robbers hit the wooden top of the coffin with a dull thud. 
and they pulled off the lid with a loud crack. There lay Mrs. Lindsay, as pale as the moonlight that illuminated her, peaceful in her grave. One of the robbers grasped her cold hand and tried to prise the wedding ring from her finger, but the ring would not budge. His friend tried next, tugging at the ring with all his might, but the ring was dainty and Mrs. Lindsay's fingers were thick, and so it didn't move a millimetre. The robbers looked at each other in quiet frustration, but quickly figured out a simple solution. If the ring wouldn't come off the finger, they would simply take the finger off the hand. One grave robber unsheathed his knife. He had no qualms about this dastardly act, for this wasn't the first time he had sliced up a corpse. The robber began by making a small incision at the base of Mrs. Lindsay's finger, but what happened next froze him stiff. Because although her hand was cold, as his knife broke her skin, a warm droplet of blood oozed out. Even a very uneducated grave robber understands that dead and buried bodies don't bleed, and so he immediately knew that something was very wrong. But, throwing caution to the wind, the robber cut the finger with all his strength. But at this, the woman's eyes flew open and she sat bolt upright, shrieking in the robber's face. Both grave robbers screamed in fear at the apparent resurrection of this bejeweled woman and clambered from the grave. The robbers abandoned their shovels and tools in the ground and ran as fast as they could from the crime scene. Mrs. Lindsay's continued shrieks attracted all the villagers living within a few hundred metres of the graveyard. The ghosts of the cemetery all laughed at such a spectacle. And so a small crowd gathered to see the miraculous sight of Mrs. Lindsay rise from her grave. Her husband was summoned and he was overjoyed that his wife had indeed returned from the dead. From then, Mrs. Lindsay's family, no doubt feeling equal parts relieved and guilty, set about giving her the best care possible. She was provided with as much tea as she could drink and as many nourishing meals as she could eat. And before long, she was as fit as a fiddle that had never spent a night underground in a graveyard. Understandably, the family had a very heated conversation with their doctor, who did eventually admit that perhaps he hadn't examined Mrs. Lindsay thoroughly enough to, you know, properly check if she really was still alive before they buried her. But ultimately, Mr. and Mrs. Lindsay were just happy to be reunited and went on to have another blessing, a wee baby boy who they named Colin. Colin grew up to become a Presbyterian minister he moved to America, where he had a congregation and a fair share of controversies indeed. He died in 1817 and was buried in Stewartsville Cemetery in North Carolina. But he would always be known as the man who was born to a mother who had already died. I've heard this story before about other people, often ministers and their families. I think the religious element is maybe trying to connect very pious people to the resurrection of Christ, but it never goes far enough to actually say that they were resurrected. It always pulls back and say, oh no, 
they just appeared dead. <laughs> These stories are all part of a larger European tradition with many variations of this tale that fall under the label of Lady with a Ring folklore. Hey, I like our name better, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm not entirely convinced, once again, Annie, that this is folklore. I reckon quite a lot of women across Europe were probably just being buried alive. Nonsense, Jenny. I'm not convinced at all. I mean, there's a variation of this story with horses. Have you heard it? Nay! <laughs> Actually, yes, I have. <laughs> and if anything, I find this version more convincing. This story happens as before. We have the woman dying and she's buried with a precious ring and robbers awaken her as they try to cut off her finger. But in the horse variation, the woman hauls herself out of the grave and walks back to her home wearing the dirty dress she was buried in. When she reaches her house, the door is locked and so she knocks. A servant answers, but he straight up nopes and refuses her any entry. Terrified, he exclaims that she is a ghost and insists that instead of entering her old mortal home, she must ascend to heaven ASAP. The servant is so passionate in his belief that he exclaims, It would be as impossible for you to return from the dead as it would be for the horses to, to let themselves out of the stables, open up the back door and run up the stairs of the house. But... Often when people have such conviction, the fates laugh, Annie. Because just then, a pair of horses poked their heads out of the attic window and neighed proudly. Seeing this, the servant realised his mistake and therefore decided that the woman could not be a ghost. What's not convincing about this, Annie? Deep down, we all know that stair-climbing horses were the ultimate symbol of being alive. That's what Orin saw whilst on the edge of life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't go to a party unless I know there's going to be horses upstairs. <laughs> Blind boys, unreleased, there's a horse upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> no, to be honest, if I'd made a comparison to anything to horses in the attic, and then a lovely pair of horses appeared in my attic, I would definitely think that there were supernatural forces at work. Oh yeah, yeah, I'd be calling the exorcist. And the stable boy, because I'm not cleaning up that mess. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, I find this a fascinating story. And people clearly found it so powerful that it travelled across Europe and then eventually even made its way over to North Carolina. There's a few things about this story that I find interesting. It speaks to the objects that families are choosing to bury their loved ones with. The ring in this story isn't just a simple piece of jewellery, but it's a conduit of life. Her ring is something that can't be taken from her, just as she herself can't move on from the world of the living to the world of the dead. It's a bit of a rebellious tale, if you think about it, both in the refusal of death and also the difficulty yet perseverance of those horses climbing those stairs. That's not easy with four long legs. And they were narrow, windy stairs. You know they were. This is back in the day. Staircases were rickety. When researching this story, <laughs> I actually um, started looking at a lot online about horses climbing stairs. <laughs> <laughs> so 
They can't climb steep stairs. Okay. But if you've got a kind of <laughs> just a steady incline and the stairs are far enough spaced apart, they can do steps, really, I think is what horses can do. Okay, yeah, I think you may just have debunked this entire folklore with that one fun tidbit. <laughs> <laughs> but they can't completely climb the stairs. Yeah. In short, it is hard to get a horse into your attic. Yeah. But if you've constructed your stairs <laughs> with horses in mind, it is possible. All right, keep that in mind, anyone who's got enough money to build a house these days. <laughs> and then join our Patreon. <laughs> Folklore of people being buried alive peaked in the 19th century because Victorians romanticised everything, especially the boundary between life and death. These ideas soaked into the cultural imagination, to the point that there were people across the globe patenting special coffins that were designed so that you could alert the outside world to your predicament if you found yourself in the situation of being buried alive. The most popular design that you'll find is a little tube that pokes out, connecting the coffin to a little box above the ground. In this little box is a bell, and the tube connects the bell to the coffin where there's a little rope that you can be buried with in your hand so that if you wake up in the coffin, you can just pull the rope and people above the ground will hear the bell ringing and know that you're still alive. Ding dong, the witch is not dead. However, <laughs> whilst these coffins were drawn up as plans and have been spread broadly across the internet, they weren't really used. Based on this episode, Annie, it sounds like a fair few people regret not using these coffins and having a handy little death bell. Well, it wouldn't have helped poor St. Oren, would it? <laughs> Can you imagine him stuck underground just ringing his bell? You just know they cut that wire immediately. <laughs> Columba and his buddies <laughs> pretending they don't hear it as they're making some stained glass windows. <laughs> <laughs> but this brings us on to stories of people buried alive as a punishment which we do have a couple of tales of in Scotland. Yes, we have a case of immurement, which is less about being buried alive and more about being walled in alive. This punishment essentially condemned someone to dehydrating and starving inside a walled cell. And we also see it pop up in pop culture quite a lot, in like vampire or monster films when they have a dangerous immortal creature they can't control or kill, and so they just build a wall around it to keep it caged in. Well, Jenny, the monster that we're about to face is sexism. Sir Walter Scott wrote a little kind of side note about the ruined abbey of Coldingham. He highlighted how religious people were sometimes immured in the walls of buildings for breaking their oaths of abstinence, and especially chastity when it comes to nuns. This goes right back to Roman times with the Vestals, also known as the Vestal Virgins, 
who were the priestesses of Vesta, the goddess of Rome's sacred hearth and flame. These girls were taken as children and trained to be priestesses, and they faced the severe punishment of immurement if they broke their chastity oath. Oh, gosh, that's awful. Walter Scott suggested that amongst the ruins of the Abbey of Coldingham, the remains of a female skeleton were discovered. Her body was inside a niche in a wall, and from the way that she was positioned, they assumed that she may have been immured. However, the way I read it, I think Walter Scott was making a bit of a guess at this, so I don't really trust his information, but I think there's enough there worth mentioning. He was a rather imaginative fellow and big on the romanticization, so I think you're probably right. What I was not expecting in this episode was how much Victorians romanticise being buried alive. It's interesting that he thought the positioning of her remains pointed to immurement and not the fact that she was found in a hole in the wall. You know, I feel like that should be enough. Well, you can be buried dead in a hole in a wall and that is much better than being walled and alive. Uh, I suppose, but this is actually one of the reasons why Victorians thought that being buried alive was far more common than it actually was. Because dead bodies don't remain completely still. They move as they decompose or are disrupted by animals. So if you were to exhume a body, it may look like the person was buried alive when actually they've just decomposed in a particular way. The bones fall how they fall, Jenny. (laughs) We do have some other Scottish lore of a punishment burial. And this is the pretty brutal legend of a young woman buried alive in Inverawe. She doesn't have a name in the story, but we'll call her Jean, as that's the local name for a ghost that pops up in the area. This tale takes place at Inverawe House, which is this great three-story mansion a tower house that has been constantly transformed over the last few centuries. And because of this, it's old enough to have more than a few ghost stories. But this one, I think, is the most tragic. Many generations of the Campbells of Inverall have lived in this mansion, nestled in Argyle above the rolling currents of the River Awe. It was a place fine for the follies of the rich, hunting the wild stag and fishing the wild salmon. Jean was a young kitchen servant who toiled hard amongst this grandeur, but as she worked, she could not ignore her heavy heart, for in it she carried a secret that she dared not speak out loud. However, our most precious and dangerous secrets are often the ones that find a way to make themselves heard. For Campbell of Inverall, the enigmatic yet pompous master of the mansion had taken a fondness for Jean. At first, she was swept off her feet by his charisma and jewels. However, she soon discovered none of his promises were to come to anything. She was to be his mistress and nothing more. But Jean was not happy with this, and so she sought someone else for her affections. In the strong muscles of a local farmer, Jean realised that romance could be passionate, steamy, and not filled with lies and secrecy. She was delighted with how her luck had turned, and how this lovely farmer embraced her in all her wonders and flaws. However, 
When Campbell discovered that she had found happiness in a humble farmer, he became obsessed. A fire of jealousy raged within him, and so one dark night he cornered Jean in the kitchen and threatened her with words so horrible they could have come from the mouth of the devil himself. His fury scared Jean, and she was learning from her past mistakes. She refused to take heed of this aggressive and arrogant man's threats. And so, in the morning, she put plans in place to leave the manor house immediately. However, Campbell caught wind of this, and it added fuel to his growing bonfire of rage. So big this rage grew that he did the unthinkable. On her last night at Inverall House, Campbell kidnapped Jean, forced her into a deep grave, and proceeded to bury her alive. The earth swallowed her cries as Campbell tamped down the last of the soil. But the supernatural has a way of punishing men who believe themselves above the laws of others. As Jean's last gasps of breath passed her lips, the fairy folk took pity on her suffering soul. For they had admired Jean's discoveries of love, her frolics in life and her unyielding spirit. And so they decided to welcome her into the folds of the fairy folk. They used their ancient magic to transform her into a glastic, and with this they breathed eternal life into her soul. Below the earth, Jean found herself new, but now she was half human, half ghost. Her common work clothes were gone, and replaced by a long green dress which was so splendid she had never witnessed anything like it before. The first thing Jean did when she crawled from her grave was visit her farmer lover for one final rendezvous, to say farewell as she was no longer made for the world of the living. Once this tender goodbye was over, she turned her goal in death to haunting Campbell of Inverawe in every possible way. Yay! Yes! <laughs> Glastic, get him! <laughs> In the Inveraw mansion, whenever there was water used for anything, Jean would use her ghostly powers to spill it. She would rearrange all his furniture, and sometimes just threw it around with the other fairy folk for fun. All of Campbell's important paperwork would unexpectedly catch fire, and when he went to fetch a jug of water to pour over it, oh, what do you know, it's tipped everywhere but the flames. Whenever Campbell tried to entertain friends in his home, he would find himself humiliated by a series of unfortunate accidents, all of which, of course, were caused by his bitter, clastic poltergeist. As he slept, she would sing lullabies of retribution, which brought him nightmares of hell. When he tried to pray, she would whisper his worst sins back to him. Never in his life did Campbell ever feel a moment of peace again. For years and years, many saw Jean in the witching hour, late at night in her flowing green dress. For this, they nicknamed her Green Jean. And yet nowadays, her presence is no longer felt in Inverall House. 
for when her farmer, who she had loved in life, himself grew old and died, Jane decided to join him in the afterlife. Whether she reclaimed her mortal soul or whether she invited the farmer to the supernatural realm, we'll never know. But I guarantee that the pair are together for eternity, bound by an otherworldly understanding of both life death and a few good poltergeisty tricks. Well, that's a really sad, really strange story. Jenny, you're bringing the heartbreak. Heartbreak but revenge is a great revenge story. There's nothing I love more than when ghosts decide that petty annoyances (laughs) for the rest of eternity are the ultimate revenge. That's me. That's what I'm going to (laughs) do. Glastics are one of the most curious creatures from Scottish folklore. Sometimes they're even wearing long green dresses to disguise their legs, which are goat legs like a fawn. If I had goat legs, I would be showing them off. I think love is a major theme for all of the Buried Alive stories. Love is either getting you into trouble or bringing you back from the dead. Um... I'm not so sure, Annie, because I came across multiple oral histories which shared a similar plot. A plot in which a spouse would be burying their dead loved one, but then they'd hear screams from the coffin within. Then they'd just go ahead with the burial anyway. The whole community would be at the funeral, just giving each other the awkward side eye, but no one would intervene. Those are just stories though, Jenny. Simple manifestations of grief. Playing on people's imagination. I don't know. A lot of this lore adds that the grave would be dug up weeks later and the body would have moved, proving further that the person was indeed buried alive. However, as we said before, all the living beings, from microscopic to mammal, who take sustenance from corpses, can shift the way that a body was lying, thus giving the illusion of pre-mortem movement. However, Jenny... I think I finally had enough of dead bodies. Okay, okay. One more one. One final one. Uh, You'll like it. You'll like it. I promise. It's a very quick one. So one day, a wee old woman who everyone sort of knew was a witch foresaw her own funeral. And so she demanded that when she die, she be buried with a big box of nuts that she had painstakingly collected. And then at her funeral... Everyone was made very uneasy when they could hear the cracking of nuts emanating from inside the wooden box. This actually sounds like something my granny would do. She (laughs) loves mixed nuts. (laughs) And she loves a good trick as well. (laughs) But is it bad that this has now made me hungry? Uh, Yes. Yes, that is bad. Then we need to wrap this up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What a weird episode. Thank you all so much, dear listeners, for joining us on this journey through the legend and lore of the eerie tales of those unfortunate enough to have been buried alive. I don't know about you, Annie, but for me, it's unearthed a previously unknown primal fear of taphophobia, so I'm not entirely sure I'm going to be able to bury that again. (laughs) But I suppose that is what Halloween month is for. Exploring the mysteries surrounding death and the beaded curtain that separates it from life. Indeed, Jenny. Whether it's St. Oren buried in a sacrifice that would lead to an unexpected revelation, 
Mrs. Lindsay, who found a spooky second chance at life, or poor Jean, who underwent a sinister and supernatural experience post-mortem. Each tale helps us jiggle the beads of that curtain, the fears that have been interwoven with death throughout history. I think this is the worst bit. Seeing how these stories, as horrible and unnerving as they are, actually cast a light on our human experience. Ugh, no, no thanks. I'd rather just bury my head in the sand. I'll carve a stone for these dreadful puns, Jenny. (laughs) But I suppose the reason that these tales were, and are still so popular, is that they are a reminder of the inescapable dance with death that we all must face. Here's just hoping that it's a dead and buried dance, not an alive and buried dance. And I guess they're also about the flicker of life too, such as a box of nuts to snack on in the grave. May you take your nuts all the way to the afterlife, Jenny. Oh, believe me, Annie, I am packing bags of trail mix for that long walk into the afterlife. Well, as we draw the beaded curtains on this chilling episode... I think that this Halloween, I'm just glad that my deceased ancestors are slumbering peacefully in their graves. Nibbling their nuts forevermore. As always, dear listeners, thank you so much for joining us, especially when we enter these dark yet fascinating corners of Scottish history. We hope we've not been too weird for you in this episode. (laughs) Thank you all so much for listening. If you are enjoying our show and appreciate this podcast, then why not consider supporting us on Patreon? By becoming a patron, you not only help us sustain the podcast, but also gain access to ad-free episodes and bonus content. Your support is what keeps us going and enables us to continue producing the content you love. If you join our Patreon community today, you become an integral part of our podcast journeys. We truly value your support, and together we can keep this spooky train rolling. Choo-choo-choo, all the way to next Halloween. (laughs) Thank you so much to all our patrons, both new and old. Until next time, keep yourselves above the ground. Slangeva. (laughs) Slangeva. Sorry, there's a siren now. Just waiting for that siren. That's the devil's work. It is the devil's work at play. (laughs) It's always the devil's work to disguise their legs, which are goat legs like a fawn. If I had goat legs, I would be showing them off. You'd be surprised how many women are into hairy legs. Believe me, Annie, I am packing bags of trail mix for that long walk into the afterlife. I'm going to have peanuts and cashews, almonds, M&Ms, walnuts, ooh, a good macadamia, desiccated coconut, a smattering of raisins, but not too many. Sultanas can actually go to hell. They're not coming along. But both white and milk chocolate chips can get in there. Dried mango, let's go. Ooh, and dried cranberries. Yeah, I'll take a handful of them too. Can you make a generic ghost sound there? It was a place fine for the follies of the rich, hunting the stag, fishing the salmon, and burying women. (laughs) Hi, Jenny. Um, My sound cut off just for a sec, so 
<laughs> I came back in a bubbing woman, but I'll take it that you're following the script perfectly from before that. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 